podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. Welcome to the third installment of the Who's Place Who Casts. This is season three, episode six. And as always, we are appropriately socially distanced. I'm your host, Val Verhaska. We're pleased to welcome back St. Louis Who with us today. And here's Seattle Who. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Val. Hey, everybody. So we are a happy bunch of Who's tonight. I think we we might have set a record here for the first time. I think all of us watched the football game t- tonight, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Most John St. Louis, I know you always watch the game. So that that's why we have you on, because we can count on you to have watched the game. But um, this time... Yeah, I've watched the last, I've watched the last four. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of football for me, so... Yeah, well, I am, I guess, occupying my dad's spot on the couch here, my mom's house, so I sat down and watched the game with her. And I'm really glad that I did. It was a, I thought it was a good football game, and I thought that uh, it was a, our team was well coached and for the most part played well. I, I was, I really loved the, I guess it was the, all right, I don't remember which touchdown it it was in order, but the one where uh, Davis posted up right in the middle, and then when Brennan ran, Davis backed up a couple steps, and Brennan hit him. I was mm-hmm. I was extremely impressed with, with that play. I, I thought it was brilliantly conceived, fairly simple, but um, you know, spread the field out, get the defense spread out, and then you got. Davis matched up with a linebacker, and what's a linebacker's first instinct going to be when he sees a runner coming at him? He's going to step up, and as, as soon as he stepped up, that left Davis wide open. You know, it was just an easy pass for Brennan to loft over him. And I, I was in, the other thing that impressed me was that everybody, nobody was downfield illegally when the pass was made because it was the kind of situation where maybe a player could have thought, all right, well, now he's running and switched into a blocking mode and then fired out down to go get somebody. And then you wind up with an ineligible player downfield when when the pass is made. But nobody did that. So I thought it was brilliantly conceived and wonderfully executed. Um, It was was great to see Davis back in action. Um, He he came out of the gate so well against Duke and, and earned all that national attention. Um, you know, and he's missed what four games? He missed mm-hmm. Wake, uh, maybe maybe three. Um, he missed uh, Wake and um, Miami, uh, Miami and UNC. And then UNC. So, yeah. So it was, it was you know we, we've we've been hoping to get him back for a couple of weeks now. Um, you know, we didn't really get any clarification on what his situation was, um, you know, medical or of some sort, but. Uh, yeah, to see him get back in, he finished today with four catches for 74 yards and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, that touchdown we just talked about. Um, you know, for a true freshman to to step back into that role and and make his catches, uh, play his role, and, and you know contribute to the win, it was really good to see him back. And he's a big piece of uh, diversifying our all literally down the stretch. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, to to give Brennan just that extra set of weapons uh, along with Rashawn Henry and. Jana and um, and Kemp, you know, tons of receiving threats. That mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be great as, as we go into a big closing stretch. And it's interesting how different they are. How much of the the diversity in the wide receiving core? You got the the little shifty runner. You got the tall target. You've got you know a guy like Jana who's just a solid and now you know smart, experienced player. And 
I, I want to also say that to me that that touchdown play and there are a lot of other plays in the game was was vintage Robert and I and, and vintage for why I will continue to to say that I think he's a very good offensive coordinator and is that he came up that was a play that put the players in a position where they could make the play you know he got Brennan he got it set up so that Brennan could run and and Davis was set up where he could easily make the play and um, you know that's what, what I've noticed that he does so well as a coach. If he's got a player who can make a lot of plays and or who can consistently make the same play, he'll he'll go back to that time and time again. Yeah, yeah I know folks like to pick on a knife for his play calling and, and the offense, but I mean that we said it before on on this podcast that the offense has carried this team going back mm-hmm. to the middle of last season. Um, whether it was Bryce Perkins or Ben Armstrong, now you know it. The offense is what's winning us games, and today the turnovers were a little disappointing, and and you know that's probably really what held the team back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Paul John's uh, fumble at the goal line was just backbreaking. You know, but you think about that. I mean, that's you know an extra forty yards of offense and seven more points if if we convert that. Right. Um, so you know the the offense, yeah, the offense did its job today. It certainly put points on the board. It moved. To move the ball. It ate a lot of clock, and um, you know, were there things to improve on? Certainly, but yeah, the the offense is not where my concern is at this point. Yeah, and well, it, the, I, the, the thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. The well, defense I mean, was the, <laughs> thing that, the, the, the thing that struck me, you know, is you know the last three four weeks, you know, we've been running, you know, a wildcat on steroids sort of offense. I mean, with Thompson getting you know, 15, 20 touches a game, and then he's not available today. So, I mean, unless you guys heard differently, I mean, I, they were completely mum about him on the on the broadcast. I didn't see anything, so I'm going to have to chalk this up as a, well, as a potential, you know, coronavirus. They didn't have time to talk about something. Thompson because they were too busy talking about Louisville and all the players that they were they were missing. I know. Well, and then the, I didn't and know anything about Louisville, too, and I know that they were without yeah. six guys, and they were without their big playmakers, and you know they they did a great job just to stay this close with all the guys that they were missing. Did you know that they were missing four guys, and they were missing their their running back was really good and and a top target and. And uh, a couple other guys, and you know they did really well. I, I, it was like, come on, dude! You know half our secondary is out. That didn't even get mentioned. But you know the way that the way that an eye has has you know built this offense to to feature multiple you know quarterbacks, mm-hmm. um, you know was really the defining feature of the Miami and the UNC games. And then nothing today. I mean, it's just it's all. It's all Brennan, you know, all the time. And right. great that we had a bye week to be able to play that. But we changed our complete offense on the fly. I mean, everything that we've been doing, all the misdirection that we've been running and the formation shifts. And this time we just kind of we just kind of lined up and we let our offensive line beat the heck up on their defensive line. And so Brennan was almost rarely threatened and free to take off on big runs whenever he needed to. I mean, our offensive line is what won us that game as far as I'm concerned. You know, yeah, and, I think Louisville Louis only but, had one one sack today and um, four tackles for loss. So it was, uh, yeah, the offensive line did a pretty good job mm-hmm. keeping Brennan clean, um, you know, at least getting the, the running backs 
up to the, to the line of scrimmage, except for on a couple of really obvious running uh, running plays late in the game when we were trying to milk clock the the sure. Louisville defense was able to, to plug holes and get us in the backfield. But yeah, in the meat of the game, um, yeah, we were able to, to do a pretty good job uh, keeping Brennan clean, keeping him upright in a very traditional sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they said that because Thompson was out, uh, Armstrong was instructed to to try to throw a little more to to limit his punishment. They called fewer design runs. Uh, he still got 15 carries, of course, um, right. with his scrambles. But you know, you, you think it's that's actually a little low for him. Um, you know, actually fewer. He still, still led the team in carries, but you know, the running backs when you put together Simpson, Talapapa, and Walker, welcome Ronnie Walker. Um, you know, who had 25 carries combined. Uh, you know, Brennan was a little bit overshadowed in the running game. Yeah, it was nice to see Ronnie Walker get to play and carry the ball. Yeah, just uh, five touches, 20 yards. It wasn't a huge breakout day, but they're easing him in. And when you've got Brennan and Simpson and Talapop running the ball pretty well, it's nice mm-hmm. to be able to, to dip Walker's toes in. Have to expect him to get a lot more work next week against Abilene Christian. Um, you know, no need to to beat up the rest of the guys when we can let Walker, you know, kind of get his confidence back and get his find his rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm really crossing my fingers we get to see a lot out of him next week. Yeah, and am I the only one who thinks that Noah Taylor moved himself up some NFL draft boards with that interception? I had no idea he was that fast. I mean, he ran 85 yards. Yeah, I mean, honestly, my, my favorite Taylor highlight that really showed off what he can do was in the Virginia Tech game last year. Oh, yeah. Interception oh, there sure. Where yeah. he dropped into coverage. And, I mean, he's got that great length. He's, what, mm-hmm. six foot five with this, this massive wingspan. He's able to get up and and pick that uh, pick the ball out of the air there. Um, so, you yeah, know, that, that shows his ranginess as a pass defender for an outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, today he showed you – He's got some wheels. I um, mean, he gets the ball. He can move. So I I know everyone has talked about Charles Snowden the last couple of years, and Snowden's absolutely a, a great draft prospect. But, you know, Noah Taylor's a guy who is going to make himself some some money on Sundays as well. And, oh, yeah. and every now and again, I, I think he might actually be the better outside linebacker prospect we've got. Yeah, it could be. And, uh, man, old Nick Jackson had a great game. Yeah, it's, it, that's – I mean, it's not to take away anything from from Jackson and Zandier. Our our system is so geared to rack up statistics for our inside linebackers, um, you know. And, and we have just been blessed with with Jackson and Zandier following up guys like like Mac and, and others who have just uh, you know we've had a great pipeline of middle linebackers, inside linebackers mm-hmm. who you know can get to the quarterback. You know, they they both Jackson and Zandier had sacks today. Um, they're obviously crucial to our ability to stop the run and, um, you know, even play a little pass coverage is necessary. So yeah, I thought both of them had great days. Yeah. Jackson was in the right, the right gaps. And Zandier, I tell you, man, that Cunningham made him look like a fool, like three times in that game. He, every time he had to break down against Cunningham in the open field, he just, he, he just looked bad. The one time he stopped him, Cunningham was running towards the sideline. And Zane did a good job of shepherding him to the sideline, but man, he, he had a rough one trying you, to, you <laughs> know, to corral him. <laughs> Dude's good though. I kind of am. 
I felt like we did at least a better job in the second half of containing Cunningham. He definitely was obviously the, the only real weapon that uh, Louisville had going today outside of uh, that one. Um, I think Jalen Mitchell was their Louisville rusher who broke a long one. Right, um, yeah. But, yeah, Cunningham was just lights out. And I think, you know, he had set his career high rushing total in the first half. It was like 160 yards or something in the right. first half alone. Second yeah, half, we were able to contain him a little bit better. And, of course, the, the one run, nice run he did get in the second the half fumble, was the one yeah. that he fumbled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll take that. Yeah, it was a nice job. I, it was a Nick Grant, right? Pulled it out of his arms? Yeah, just took it right out of his hands. Yeah. And that was that, that was, was big, was, the three turnovers, you know, because we weren't stopping them. They were, you know, we saw the third down issues that we'd seen before, and the guy was doing a great job running and throwing. And, and if it weren't for those turnovers, probably they probably would have had you know two more touchdowns. Definitely, it's, but that's football. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, turn, turnovers really are the the most critical stat. Yeah. Um, in, in any game, you know, if, if you're losing that turnover battle, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a hole. And, right. you know, the last, you know, there were a couple games there um, where we were just, you know, like the Wake and NC State games, we lost the turnover battle and that cost us the game, um, especially when you turn the ball over early. So it was nice that today to, um, you know, there was the one interception by Armstrong that, and then Paul Jens fumble at the goal line, but the, for the defense to step up big and you know you know be in a bend but don't break mentality where they where they given up some yards yeah but they were getting the takeaways they needed to get and that you know put the offense in some good field position to to punch it in obviously scored the one touchdown themselves um so yeah defense defense redeemed itself with those three turnovers today hopefully we can get some more in the coming weeks yeah the defense does seem to be getting better you good pressure today most of the time most plays, they did a very good job of keeping their lanes. Uh, there were one or two breakdowns where, you know, they gave Cunningham a, a nice lane to run in. But for the most part, they didn't really give him. We missed a couple tackles. We've got a couple guys that um, don't really belong out there. I don't, I don't really want <laughs> pick on anyone by name, but I, I could not disagree with the tweet that I saw during the game. Yeah, that that was me. I, I, yeah, you know. I'll I'll own that one. It's and it's not it's not to take anything away from the effort. No, that, um, not at all. That, that Cross definitely. and Grant bring out there to the cornerback position, but they just you know game after game they were picked on last week by UNC. They got picked on today um, by Louisville. The you know and that was without arguably Louisville's best uh, wide receiver and Tutu Outwell out right, there to, yeah, to punish yeah, I mean, them. So. Cross definitely looks like a guy who's a quarterback and a wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, he, st- he started off as a quarterback, moved to wide out, moved yeah. to safety, moved to cornerback, and he is – it's just not, it's not a natural position for him. No, so, it isn't. I mean, you can I, see, though, from the way he moves his hips and the way he tries to tackle, and it's, it's – sometimes watching him try to tackle, it's like, oh, man, come on. <laughs> it's like, you know, a guy who's a true defensive back, man, he just sticks it and – yeah, hopefully next week, Abel and Christian, we get a chance to see some of the young guys in action. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if we'll see Darius Bratton back next week. Uh, probably not. You know, I'm getting to, to feel that we're just not going to get him back uh, this season at all, at least not not at 100%. Right. Um, hopefully, 
the um, at the safety position, Brenton Nelson and and Joey Blunt will see back probably for the Florida State game. It sounds like the the coaches want to give them one more week to rest. Okay. Just you know, probably you know, knock on wood, not to jinx anything, but Abilene Christian Abilene Christian's a pretty bad team. But that kid from James Madison looked good today. Uh, Amos, yeah, yeah. He was he number thirty. I think he's number thirty. I, he he made uh, one saving tackle. He took another a good angle on another deep ball. I saw him uh, knocking the quarterback down a couple times. He he made some good plays. He he seemed to be yeah. kind of solidifying the backfield. And there, there was one other guy back there who uh, showed out pretty well too. But oh, Antonio Clary had a nice day too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number nineteen. Yeah. So it's yeah. So we're good with the safety position. It's you know especially if we can get. Um, Nelson or Blunt back in, mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. It's just that cornerback position. It, you know, I don't know if we can scheme to, to solidify it or, you know, maybe one of the young guys like Baker or Gaines um, has a has a nice day next you know next week and and starts to earn some of the staff's trust. But uh, you know, I'm I'm expecting that it's just going to be one of those weaknesses we have to live with uh, for the next uh, for the rest of the season. You know, hopefully it doesn't cost us you know any games right and we'll see i mean yeah, abilene christian is a game that we can pretty well chalk up as a win uh florida state is just imploding uh for for anyone who's not paying attention with down there i mean they're they lost again today or losing it's, it's very record this they're they're down quite a bit to nc state um but they had um james blackman who three was the players to... they had three players to quit right i mean they had, they had three quit right? and, an, and another start. So, yeah, James Blackman, they they're started the year as their starting quarterback and was the, the second stringer. Um, he quit, decided to transfer. Uh, Marvin Wilson, their studded defensive tackle, decided to uh, leave school and start preparing for the NFL draft. Um, wide receiver, uh, Tamorian Terry, who was their leading wide receiver, quit the team. And um, then they had uh, one of their starting offensive linemen, was out for the year, knocked out for the year with an injury, just to add, you know, make it even worse. And um, they are just just falling apart. As mm-hmm. I think they've got just two wins so far. They, they had a yeah, they were two and NC five coming State. in tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One and one of them was uh, was at Jacksonville State, ah. so that doesn't really count. Right. Um, you know, they, they have a fluke win over UNC, but other than that, they've been getting beat badly. You know, the, the Louisville team we just beat creamed them and. Um, Georgia Tech creamed them. NC State's creaming them. So they, uh, yeah. you know, hopefully, we'll get an opportunity to to really put the nail in their coffin in two weeks. And you know, you think about it, where we were at, we were at one and four a couple weeks ago. You know, just staring at a terrible season. Yeah, I, I think I still think that record was a bit misleading, but yeah, I mean, it is what it, it is. It was right? two two of those losses didn't have a healthy Brennan Armstrong, right? right. Um, you know, Wake Forest and NC State have both turned into really good teams. Yeah. And surprised a lot of people. Both team, you know, they they got both have winning records and playing well. And of course, another one of those lost, those other two losses were to Miami and Clemson. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we were losing the lightweights. We we're losing entirely to top half teams. You know, and again, two of those games with Bernard Armstrong concussed. Right. So, um, but you know, we're sitting at three and four now. Uh, we'll go to four and four likely next week if we can take advantage of Florida State's uh, myriad issues. We go to five and four. And all of a sudden, we we flip the calendar to December, 
um, you know, kind of in a good place. You know, we're, we're, we're 500 in conference potentially at that stage. And, um, you know, we'll have a big home game against Boston College before we head to Blacksburg to, mm-hmm. to finish the season. And, you know, some good momentum. We could be on a four-game winning streak going into December. Yeah, it'd be um, great. It would, it would be the second straight strong November we've had under the staff. Um, so, yeah, definitely a different feeling. And if we can if we can use the next couple of weeks to get healthy, uh, the offense is looking much healthier, really, um, at this stage. The only one we're missing is Thompson. So we'll have to see what his story is, and hopefully we can get him back soon. Uh, but we got Walker back. We got Davis back. Uh, and Brennan Armstrong's looking good for now, knock on wood. So the offense is, is doing well. You know, we'll we have to see how uh, Rinkensmeyer, what, what's up with him. Is it yeah, Rinkins or Rinkles? I think it's Rinkensmeyer. Rinkens- Rinkens- yeah, they showed him later. He had um big wrap around his knee. Yeah, and, and maybe we just let him rest next week. We've yeah. got some good depth on the offensive line. I think Bobby Haskins is getting to a point where he can he can play some some more. So he'd missed a lot of the season. You know, started all last year at left tackle, but missed a lot of the season with with being banged up early. Mm-hmm. But he's reaching a point where he can play some. And of course, um, well, he was know, in there. Rinkens- I, I think he was in there the whole game today, wasn't he? Because I saw I kept seeing Haskins, 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 and he looked like he was yeah. doing really well. Yeah, I'd have I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, um, I kept noticing he, him. Yeah, uh, and he's got a, he's got great upside. I mean, he's mm-hmm. I was really bummed when he was hurt because he's he's arguably, you know, got our the best NFL uh, bona fides of any of the tackles on the roster. Um, so you know, it's good to see him him play more. And um, you know, Joe Bissinger, you know, is, is if we need some time at guard, Joe Bissinger is just a, a redshirt sophomore, but he's uh, he's got a great future ahead of him. We're going to get a couple of great years out of him starting probably study next year. And, you know, if, if because Rick needs to miss a game or, or next week, you know, we've got some guys who can fill in and give us mm-hmm. four good quarters on the offensive line. Is it necessarily our, our peak OL? Maybe, maybe not, but certainly it's going to be good enough to get us through next week and probably still good enough to get us through uh, Florida state. Even if we you know do need to let a guy or two rest up some, some bruises before we hit that December stretch. Yeah, well, it's a very different mood from what it was a couple, two, three weeks ago when we titled the podcast episode, Is It Basketball Season Yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Well, what Miami a couple was of just depressing. So. Uh, well, you know, winning winning cures all ills, right? So, yeah. you know, but. And I, you know, my, I, I haven't. I was depressed after Miami. So. This was the first game that I've seen, and, and I. Watched a good football team play a good game against a, a good football team. Louisville's got some players, and they had. You can see there's some coaching there. They had a good plan, and they just. I, the other thing I was really impressed with Louisville was, whereas when Cunningham broke through, he tended to have space, and for most of the game, there was. I can only think of really one exception. When Armstrong got through the line on the scrambles, there was somebody there. And if he managed to make that first guy miss, there was somebody there. So they, you know, he really, he, he, you know, he was getting his yardage four, five, six yards at a time and not able to get those eight, 10, 12, 15 yard runs very often. So I thought um, Louisville did a very good job of that. And the other thing I thought was that uh, Louisville, they didn't have the mental stamina 
for that game. You could see in the maybe late third quarter to fourth quarter they were starting to get mentally tired. And like there was that stretch of two possessions where they had those three five yard penalties. All of the mental mistakes, oh, yeah, and all of them had impact. Mm-hmm. And then they had a couple other uh, errors. That was the point where I could tell that that we were going to win that game because. I just felt like they were breaking down, and our guys were sharp the whole way through. Yeah, penalties were, were fairly minimal. Um, a couple, couple you want back, but nothing right. that, that really broke the back. No, it was a cleanly played game. It was, it, and it was fast. I mean, it was a three-hour game. It was over. Well, that's how we like them. So, <laughs> all right. So next week is Abilene Christian. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure how much there will be to say about that one. And then uh, I know the other team, I guess, well, men's soccer is playing. They have a ACC tournament game tomorrow. And I think it's the quarterfinal, so it's Wake early Forest, in that yeah. one. Yeah, against mm-hmm. Wake Forest. Wake Forest is kind of a nemesis for George Gilnovich. They've, uh, we've had some rough times with them down the years. I have no idea how good they are this year. I haven't really followed it much, but I know – and the women... They're the number two... You know, well, Wake is the number two seed in the ACC overall. So, okay. Um, it was, it was, it's been a rough year for us, for All the right. men. So, I mean, we're, we're definitely... You know, we scraped in uh, at the bottom half for it. So, okay. it would be a, a major upset if we win. All right. Um, but the, uh, the women had their ACC tournament. Uh, it's ongoing as we record this. Started on Tuesday... And the women, well, just to uh, rub it into Louisville, we thrashed Louisville uh, soundly. Uh, we won uh, four to one. Hmm. The score wasn't particularly close. Um, you know, it was just Louisville doesn't have the horses to play with us. And it was interesting. We've seen a lot of innovation in the first couple rounds of the ACC tournament so far. Um Louisville came out with a new with a new formation midseason. They were still committed to playing it against us. They were playing a, a five four one, which you know puts five defenders in the back. But what it does to get width in the modern soccer game, it's the outside defenders, your outside backs, your right back, your left, who provide the width. And so if you're going to play that way, and you're, those wide players are going to be getting up you need to have two things. You either need to have a midfield that can possess and hold the ball so that your wingbacks can advance. Mm-hmm. Or if you lose it, they have to be able to defend quickly. So your guys get back. Right. They had neither. <laughs> they didn't have the, they don't have the midfield horses to play that. The other thing, the other thing about a, f- a five, four, one is that, you know, it's been cynically used by lesser teams, you know, to try to park the bus. mentality. What? Catanaccio. Yeah, that's right. But Louisville came out and tried to play an actually an offensive 5-4-1. And, you know, they just got exposed repeatedly. Mm-hmm. So uh, Diana Ordonez had a great game. She scored. Uh, she had a hat-trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, it's only the fifth ever hat-trick in an ACC tournament. Wow. And so that was nice. First ever by a Virginia player. And she had just one of the worst blown calls robber of a fourth goal. Hmm. I mean, it was just, what do you call that? Just must've fallen down a four. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. 
doesn't doesn't happen very often, but uh, we call it a suck at Louisville, I guess. You know, we can name it something special. But um, so that was that was sort of a that was sort of a cakewalk, and we were expecting it to be a cakewalk. I mean, Louisville was not the the bottom half of the ACC was relatively weak this year. So then that left us on uh, Friday night playing um, UNC. And UNC is, under Anton Dorrance, is just probably the best sports program in NCAA history. He's won 22 NCAA championships. I mean, they've played 35, I right. think. Uh, they won, he's won, by the same number, 22 ACC tournament titles. Florida State has won six. We've won three, so it it it's the most dominant program in in sports. And I think what makes it so impressive and so dominant kind of sets him apart. I guess you can also kind of say this with Gino Ariam and UConn is that he has continued to have North Carolina dominant as the sport has gotten more competitive. Because exactly. you see this a lot in sports that are. Not really in the limelight. That, you know, no, they're getting started. Yeah, right. They're getting started. Wins. You'll see I mean, one. one eight. Yeah. You'll see one program dominate, and then as the sport gets more competitive and more spread out, you know their dominance ends, and, and they might be one of one of several really good teams, but they they generally don't remain like a dynasty. And you know this happened to UVA in men's soccer. Um, UVA mm-hmm. kind of had the same thing happen in women's basketball, and. But Dorrance has kept, yeah, exactly. Dorrance has kept UNC as one of the dominant programs in the country, even as the sport has gotten, you know, more competitive and widely dispersed. That's a credit to him and to what he's built there. And his, it is his quality, and, and he's 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 he really is, and it just hurts to see him at UNC because right. you know I, I want to think so little of UNC, but he's a class guy. So, for instance, this year. You know, at the beginning of the season, you know, he was wondering, you know, like we all were, what what's going to be the the ramifications of playing in the middle of a pandemic? And he told his three English players, uh, including Lottie Russo and um, uh, blanking on her first name, Lottie Rubin Moy, to go back to England and play. You know, and in essence, end their career. They were seniors this year. Mm-hmm said, you know, I can't guarantee you anything. Uh, we don't know if there's going to be a tournament, an ACC tournament. We don't know the NCAAs had not put forth their plan for an, in, a tournament in the spring. He said, you've got to go play. You know, you can't risk losing everything to come here and sit. Right. So to actually tell players, you know, in the middle of a season or the beginning of a season that was going to be competitive, we're good, Florida State's very good, to tell three of your players, go do what's best for you. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just so hard. I mean, you obviously have to be very secure in your position as a coach mm-hmm. and very secure in what you're doing as a program to be able to make that kind of advice. In the long run, and that approach is, is just going to help you, and it's going to help you get buy-in from your players because if your players know that you're there for them, they're going right. to – you know, the, the, the cliche run through a wall for you. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and they do that. And so what happened is, is they were weak. Now 
this was interesting, you know, for the we started the same lineup in both games, Louisville and UNC, and that's the first time it's happened. We played twelve. We played a total of thirteen games, used twelve different lineups. Wow! Because of vast injuries and coronavirus issues of our own, and that was ultimately what did us in. Um, we talked about this a couple of times, but Florida State and UNC are just a class above us physically. They can play beautiful possession soccer. They've got skilled players. We can play beautiful possession. We've got very skilled players, all smart. You know, all three coaches have got their teams on a, on a vision. They're, they're well coached with players who love them and have all bought in. Florida State and UNC just have the physicality on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for instance, they um, they committed 15 fouls to our three fouls in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they gave the ref gave uh, UNC three yellow cards, and in the women's soccer game, yellow cards are extremely rare. It's like mm-hmm. these refs think these girls are playing this genteel little game, and they're not. I mean, it's just they play just as hard and just as tough, but the refs just don't card women to the degree that they card men. So. Three cards, 15 fouls just tells you how physical they were, and they just battered us. And it wasn't necessarily a dirty game. They were just stronger, and they were pushing us off the ball all game long. And it was ultimately it's frustrating and disappointing. I don't know what we're going to see out of a a season next year in the spring. It's hard to figure out, you know, how if if we have 10 – or eight or ten, we'll probably be able to play eight. If we have eight games in the spring, it's not spring training. They're going to be games that count. You know, we're going to be trying to make games outside of the ACC because we use the RPI in soccer, and there's going to be this very narrow field. The games have to matter, but we're not playing for an ACC. It it it's just going to be a very it's going to be a very weird spring. Mm-hmm. But this was the game that mattered. And we just fell short. And How did we I play? I mean, wants... we played pretty soccer. Uh, first 35 minutes of the game, very toe to toe. We looked easily their equal. Mm-hmm. We were as fast on the ball. We have some. We have some wonderful ball players. Uh, mostly, we've got two freshmen who are very interesting. There's Leah Godfrey who was just named the ACC Freshman of the Year for the for right. ACC. Wonderful, wonderful player. She She's five foot four. She defends better than you think she does. She's very quick on the ball. And one of the things to watch in soccer is who's faster with the ball at their feet than they are when they're normally running. Right. It's sort of a, a, a John Walls kind of thing. I think Walls is faster dribbling than he's, he is without the ball, you know. And she's that way. She's got a wonderful shot. She's got vision. And we also have a player that we haven't talked about a whole lot, a freshman defensive back named uh, Samar Gidry, who is just a dynamite dribbler. I mean, she can do tricks with the ball practically. She's got to learn where to go when she gets down to the final fourth, final fifth of the field. But the first 35 minutes, we were running on we were we were we had we had just as many good chances, and then we gave up a penalty, and it was the the uh, fifth penalty we've given up on the season. Wow! 
and they scored it. And then we came out and we had more possession than them than the first half. I think the stat was we had 58% of the possession in the first half. And I think I think Anson Dorrance must have just read that to his players and said, you guys look like you're a 42% possession team. Mm-hmm. Because they came out, just scorched us for about 15, 20 minutes. We clawed back in, but we needed the goal. We were chasing it. We were pushing it up. And it was just one of those cases where they put a long ball and they just right. had more speed, more team speed, and they got the breakaway. Mm-hmm. And it was 2 nothing. So... We we played well. Was that the uh, final? That well, that was the semifinal. No, I mean, so, was that the final score? That final score, yeah. Okay. So, All right. so on Sunday, we're recording this Saturday night. Sunday, it will be uh, Florida State and UNC, which is as it should be. Right. I mean, they were clearly the two best teams in the ACC this year. We were clearly the third best. As far as we know, there, there's planned to be a spring season but probably can't be sure that it's there will be spring happen. games well it, it, everything's well the ac well the ncaa's has officially announced that fall sports including soccer will have an ncaa tournament it's going to be a 48 team tournament rather than the standard 64 mm-hmm. and that teams will be allowed to play a total of 20 games between the two seasons. Okay. The And the ACC games don't count. Or the tournament games don't count. So right. Virginia play, was scheduled to play 11 games. We played 10 because our game against UNC, which was out of conference for out-of-conference purposes, was canceled. We played 10 games. We can play up to 10 games in the spring season. But I wonder how many... It'll just... I wonder how many ACC teams we would have to play as non-conference games to get that 10. It just seems like I, I don't think we can be certain how many teams are actually going to decide to play in the spring. Well, I mean, that's part of it. Uh, it is still expensive. It's hard. Being able to go to the NCAA tournament is not going to make your school any money in women's soccer. Right. So we don't really know what what that's going to happen for those teams that played those leagues that played in the, uh, in the fall. All right. Theoretically, so we'll find that out. all the teams. We'll find that we out as we go forward. Very and, good league, So, yeah. So yeah. in women's soccer, there's no two, $2 billion pot in the NCAA tournament to be split. Like there is in, in uh, men's <laughs> basketball where no. we are still the reigning national champions. And I have been reading some, very good content and some very good history about men's basketball. We are, well, before this gets published, the basketball preview will have moved forward with a feature about the Florida. Um, St. Lou who wrote it, looks into the history of that. Um, I guess we can call it a rivalry. They've kicked our butts in two consecutive NCAA tournament games, but all is not negative in that history, as you will learn in in what I thoroughly enjoyed the feature, so I'm I'm happy to get to preview those, and then we'll hear about Cody Statman and some more of the players, and then we're going to have another special feature on the Michigan State history, since they come they're the second major non-conference opponent in this season's schedule, 
And, then, and they also kicked our butts in two in, in two NCAA games. So. Yeah, well, those games were closer, but they okay, they didn't kick our butts. They won. They, okay, they won. I, I mean, in both games, they were the better team, and you know they they were a couple steps ahead of us the whole way. But it wasn't the absolute thrashings that Florida put on us. Um, and then the the third special feature is by Huamp. That's the Villanova. He, he, he uh, wrote something really cool, but and that'll probably be that'll run when we're done with all the player analysis because we're kind of spacing those special features out through the the publication. So that that's kind of what what'll be coming up there. Um, and we you know we're moving through the players from the oldest to the youngest, as has been my practice since I started doing these and the. University of Virginia men's basketball program in their Meet the Team series, they're going the other direction. Uh, they started with Coach last Sunday, uh, which I skipped because, as I said before, what am I going to learn about Tony Bennett from one of those? But I, I did – I actually – I didn't catch the – they had the newcomers on Thursday. I didn't catch it live, but fortunately the – men's basketball team, they put a replay on the Twitter feed, and it's still on their Twitter, uh, UVA Men's Basketball, and I found it there, and I downloaded it, and I was able to watch that today, and it was entertaining, uh, and then they're going to be doing the sophomores tomorrow, likely before anybody hears this, and then the juniors will be, I think, next Thursday, and then the seniors will be uh, next weekend. And I I know uh, St. Louis said you tried to watch some of it, and Val, you didn't get to watch any of it. Uh, I I actually watched all of it. I was I think I think I was like starting to prep dinner or no prepping lunch lunch while I watched it. And uh, what did you uh, what what are your takeaways from the from the, the newcomers? Well, I found it was very entertaining, and I thought it was funny in that each one of the Freshmen came across to me the way I expected them to from what I, from watching their film and and all that and but um, Trey Murphy who who was in there as a newcomer was very polished a very polished young man um, and you could see the difference in his maturity from the other the other guys that he was you know been through this kind of stuff. And, well, we would expect that. I mean, he went to Rice, which right. is a heck of a fine school. So, I mean, it's this UVA Rice, I mean, it's the same wheelhouse, you know. So Yeah. And there was a funny moment there. You know, he grew up a Carolina fan because his mom went to Carolina. And uh, so, you know, Dave Kane asked him, you know, how she was about him coming to Virginia. And he, he said, oh, you know, she's fine. She just wants me to be happy. Yeah. You know, but you know, if I had chosen Duke, she might have disowned me. <laughs> we all laughed at that. And then, um, you know, it, it's um, it's an occupational hazard the way we've been picking kids out of Carolina lately. Yeah. Jay Huff is from Durham. Justin McCoy is from Raleigh. Um, you know, Carson and um, Trey are both you know North Carolina kids. You know, going and, all the way back to, to Anthony Gill and uh, Akil Mitchell. You yeah. know, we have like five Charlotte players from North Carolina, Carolina on this roster. There are so you know it's, it's you know, for for all the the complaining we do about 
unable to land star star players out of Northern Virginia or Richmond or um, you know seven five seven. I mean, help going all the way back to to JJ Redick, you know, coming mm-hmm. out of Roanoke. Um, you know, oh, it goes back way before JJ Redick, man. Well, I, I know, tell you, I know. back into the eighties, we've been <laughs> complaining about that. <laughs> right, yeah. but you know, it's it's. I'm perfectly happy to beat Duke in North Carolina with kids that they missed on in their own backyards for a change. Yeah, so. I'll be very yep. happy, very interested in watching uh, Trey Murphy play against the Carolina teams because he did say that when he was transferring, he didn't hear from those teams. And he said he remembers that kind of stuff. So, Hey, you you don't think it was somewhere in the back of Jay Huff's mind when oh, he blocked yeah. 10 slots against Duke that he, you know, the, the Durham native didn't get an offer from them and that was his payback opportunity? So a couple of interesting things yeah, that, that came out of there. Back, so. Yeah. And, you know, he's actually, he's had a lot of good moments against Duke. The the first game he played him down in Cameron, you know, he had, remember they had that um the fake, the pump fake, drive. the pump fake, and then the one dribble and slam it on him, which he's he did this past season also. Um, but apparently, according to our newcomers, Trey Murphy is the best dunker on the team. Yeah, I, I did see that uh, in a write up, and I got really excited by that. And um, Jay Huff got some props, but um, and Justin got some props. From that, but they they all agreed that Trey is that Trey's the best dunker on the team. And then the, the other thing that really interested me was when Dave asked him who's the best shooter on the team. It was unanimous and without any thought needed. Sam Hauser is the best shooter on the team. Right. And where this is significant to me is that there was no debate on a team that has Jay Huff. And Thomas Wolde Tensai, and then Carson himself, you know, three very good shooters. And yet Sam Hauser is such a good shooter that he's like a level above all of those guys. Yeah, he's what, a career 44% shooter? I mean, career on very high volume up at Marquette. So, right, from three, from three. Yeah. And also a very good um, shooter inside the paint. You know, inside the arc too, the mid range, and like Carson said, it's that Sam is a great shooter at every shot, and he can. He, you know, I, I thought it was, I thought it was telling that they all agreed that Carson's not far behind Sam, and Carson agreed with that, which I like. I, I also like that Sam. If you ask him who's the best shooter on the team, he will say I am. Because, look, yeah. you, you want a shooter to step into every shot with confidence that he knows it's going in. And that's what makes great shooters. So I like seeing that confidence in those guys. And what Carson said is the difference between him and Hauser is on a stand on a standstill shot, Carson said he's as good as anyone. And he's got, he got range out, not quite to Thailand, but he said two steps inside the logo – you know, he'd feel confident shooting it. But that Sam is just good at every shot. And on a move, on a dribble, contested. The other thing that – there were two other things that tells me that all these guys are, are great fits for this program. Is they all agreed that the toughest thing about practice, that the, the, the biggest wake-up moment they had was in the closeout, the three-on-three closeouts drill that Tony – that's a staple of Tony's practices. And 
they all. What's the three? What is the three entry closeout? I, I I don't know all the details, but basically, there's three offensive players and there's three defensive players, and the three defensive players have to help away from their man and then recover to close out on a shot. And what's really tough for the freshmen is that they, they they'll tend to bite on the fakes, and if if they're going up against a veteran player. And they apparently they now they said Jaden Nixon is the best on the team at this on on doing the pump fake on the catch and then putting it on the floor and the biggest thing like all of them agreed is that you have this moment where you feel like you're never going to get this and they have to figure out how to close out aggressively without opening themselves up to getting beat and that that was the and. That was the toughest thing, and and I think every year, every year, you ask the freshman that same question, you'll get that same answer because I've heard it from previous freshmen also, and it's just funny mm-hmm. to see you know that, that this is the culture. And the other thing, when they were asking each one of the players, what's the main thing that he brings to the team? The first thing that they all said was. You know, being able to do different things, whatever whatever it took to help the team win. Basically, that was what they all said, and they all would like list a few different things. It it wasn't oh I'm here to, you know I'm here to score. I'm here to shoot threes. Other you know Carson he did say after that he can stretch the floor. It you can see the the culture that they all appreciated the culture here, and they're all like already kind of breathing in that culture. This is what we saw six, seven years ago as being the potential of, of, you know, what could happen here. You know, because this is what Tony was trying to do is build his culture. and He talked about it. And you can see now it's in place. And you can also see the impact that winning that national championship had. Because it had an impact. Like, all four of them talked about it. And Jabri wasn't really being recruited hard at the time. But he was in Minneapolis at a USA basketball camp, so it made an impression on him getting to see it up close. It made it, it had a lot to do with Reese's decision to come to Virginia because winning's important to him, and you know, he he saw that he was watching it with his mom at a time when he was in his decision making process. Carson, I don't remember if he had committed yet, but he was watching with his family and was already very serious about Virginia. And then Trey was at Rice, and you know, he watched it and he wanted to join a winning program. So, no, you know, the experience of watching us win that made a difference to him. Those are the like the main things that I got out of it. It was fun watching the interaction between them. It's the seeing and just getting to know them a little bit. Um, and like, <laughs> you know, the Jabri and then Carson joined in was teasing Reese Beekman um, about how long he takes to get ready to go anywhere. Because he's got to be perfect. He's got a mirror by the door. If he's on his way out, if he sees anything about his appearance that he doesn't like, he's got to change it. And it, it's just funny. It's like, yep, that's the point guard. That's so. Well, I'm excited to you know, we're, we're get to see those guys debut in uh, you know just a week and week and change at this yeah. point. We're gonna have to download something called Flow Sports. <laughs> I know, uh, <laughs> so that we can see it. Um, that was, you know, we, we talked about the schedule coming out this week. That was maybe the biggest takeaway from the schedule 
is that uh, the the opening game uh, is going to be against Maine um, on Wednesday, the 25th. And uh, a match of one of the worst college basketball games yeah. I think I've ever watched. Yep. So, um, oh, yeah. and appa- apparently a, uh, an internet sports uh, startup, I guess they're not a startup. They've been around for a little while, but a little, a bit player bought up a bunch of the games in the Connecticut bubble, uh, bubbleville up there. I think they've, um, I think they've been doing high school primarily in AAU. They, they do some now. smaller college. I think this, okay. I, I heard that the CAA, the Colonial Athletic Conference or Association that, you know, JMU and, um, uh, William and Mary are in. Right. They, they've done some of their games, um, but the you know I I went and looked at the app on the App Store. It is uh, the reviews are terrible. Oh, no. It's um, apparently very very laggy and and not um, not very uh, th- doesn't play nice with a lot of systems. So we're we're gonna see how that goes. Um, you know, in terms of being able to watch it, hopefully the internet will be kind and provide everybody the ability to watch it um, in a timely fashion. But yeah, then, so that'll be Wednesday. That'll be your, your tune up before Thanksgiving. And then the day after Thanksgiving, since we won't be playing Virginia tech on black Friday, as we have the last uh, X number of years, mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll get a great hoops game instead um, at 1130 in the morning. So everyone's kind of got to shake off their turkey hangover a little earlier than usual. Um, their Black Friday shopping and, and get home for an 11. Well, yeah, guys, you're going to have to find an excuse to get out of Black Friday shopping and and watch the hoops game. Yeah. Does anyone still Black Friday shop anymore anyways? I mean, definitely not during COVID. I can't imagine. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we have a great game against Florida. Um, you know, the, the Connecticut bubble had been discussed a lot but we hadn't really seen anything finalized and on paper so it was great to finally see both these two games up in connecticut uh listed on you know published by the university um you know made official so we got those two games to kick off the season the florida game is going to be a great one they're not top 25 but in both the ap and the coaches poll preseason they're second in the others receiving votes category so they're effectively 27th mm-hmm. um they've got a, a great Again, talk about great players from the state of Virginia who um, we don't get. Keontae Johnson is out of the out of Norfolk or Portsmouth. He's a seven five seven kid, Southside. And just uh, that Keontae Johnson, it's a six foot five forward, um, was Florida's leading scorer and um, second leading rebounder last year. So he's back. Um, he's done a lot of uh, you know preseason All SEC you know watch lists. Um, so he's back. Noah Locke, who's a sharpshooter, shot 40-some percent for them, um, who we recruited in uh, 2018. He's back. They got two uh, two McDonald's All-Americans um, from the 2019 class who are going to be rising sophomores, and Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann, uh, who are going to be ready to step into bigger roles. Um, you know, really the only question mark they've got is in the, is in the paint. But you know, they've got some talent. Uh, Mike White's a pretty good coach. And um, should be a, a great game. Um, you know, a, a nice early season test for UVA. That is certainly not a gimme, even though we'll be the high-ranked team in it. Uh, Florida is very capable of um, of giving us a game and 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 coming away from the win. Uh, important thing to note: you know, this is not a preseason tournament. So you know, we always like to brag about how I think we've won something like seven straight mm-hmm. of those uh, Thanksgiving tournaments now. 
uh, going all the way back to 2013 in either, either Myrtle Beach or Corpus Christi, something really random. Um, but we um, we were supposed to play down in or out in California at the Wooden Invitational this year uh, due to the pandemic that was canceled. Hopefully, we'll yeah, get to thanks, do it COVID. I was year. supposed to go to that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was a great bracket. Uh, UVA, yeah. oh, it was. Yeah. UCLA, and Kansas. Um, you know, there's. You know, I felt bad for Georgetown because Georgetown, who's rebuilding under Patrick mm-hmm. Ewing, was just going to get trashed by three highly ranked teams. Um, you know, UCLA is is looking really good this year under Mick Cronin, and of course Kansas is always a strong program. So that was going to be a great event. Hopefully, we'll get it next year. I'm hoping they'll punt it. If for no other reason, because it gives Kihei Clark a chance to play in Southern California in front of all of his friends and family. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a really nice opportunity for him. You know, it'd be so it was in Anaheim, so you know, just across town for him. That would have been a great opportunity. But so for this one, you know, we don't get a. There's no trophy. There's no bracket. There's no named event. This is just a couple of scheduled games in the bubble. Um, and then we're after that, we're back in Charlottesville for um, for a few weeks. Uh, we get um, two nice tune-ups when we get back. St. Francis and Kent State, both of which should be uh, you know, pretty easy wins and chances to get the freshmen lots of playing time and, and whatnot uh, before the uh, Michigan State comes to town. And, you know, um, Seattle, I know you have uh, – you've done a lot of homework on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> in, 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 including having – What's the last time we played Michigan State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge? Yeah, well, actually, the um, the first time we played them because we we actually played them again the next year. They had, but that was in the Breslin Center, and that was the one that counted. And I, I, I'm sure we all watched it, but I don't remember it. I just remember Michigan State won. And the the oddest thing that I found in this research is that. I read a couple of articles from Michigan State. One is from the Detroit Free Press and one is from the Michigan State like official website where they talk about how Michigan State is 5-0 and against Virginia all time, 3-0 and at the Breslin Center, and then 2-0 in neutral sites. And I can only find in a database in, or any other reference, like Google, I'd search any – Anywhere else, I can only find any record of three games between Virginia and Michigan State. The two NCAA tournament games. Yeah, we both went through. Yeah, the yeah, sportsreference.com. We, we both went season by season for 65 seasons. Yeah, you know, and if looking, you go, for, looking for those games, and they're just not there. So. Right, and the sportsreference.com, they have the matchup finder and the, the, where they give the, the history of every team against other teams and they only have those same three games. Like they have Michigan state three, and zero against Virginia. Now, as I was going through the seasons one by one, I did come across a game where, where Michigan state played Virginia tech a long time ago. And I saw a game where Michigan state played Virginia Commonwealth a long time ago. And I'm wondering if some writer screwed up Michigan state having played, you know, five and zero against teams from Virginia and turned that into, <laughs> being 5-0 against Virginia, and then the other writer just picked up on that. And, and now in Michigan State lore, they're 5-0 against Virginia when we've only actually played three and three three and maybe four-sevenths times because the other four-sevenths didn't, <laughs> didn't count. Right. Uh, the Bambi on Ice game that I attended. Um <laughs> 
where uh yeah and, then, and i'll talk about that in the in the feature article but i'm still like i don't know where michigan state comes up with this five and oh against us but we have never beat michigan state and the only time we the only game that ended with us in the lead didn't count and they've never come to our gym for the first time they're coming to our home so let's see what happens so that that's the second of three great non-conference games we got on the calendar this year so after after michigan state comes to visit we get another tune-up against william mary um we get a, a road trip uh to wake forest as our first acc game um which shouldn't be too big a deal wake forest of course is rebuilding is under a new coach i think we talked about that last week mm-hmm. um but then all of a sudden we pack up and we head up to Madison Square Garden for our last non-conference game. Just this a heavyweight clash against Villanova. Uh, so Virginia is ranked fourth in both the AP and coaches preseason polls. Villanova is ranked third. They bring back um, all but one player from a team that won the Big East last year. And, uh, and that is just going to be uh, probably... the another great matchup in a, in a rivalry that is you know still doesn't have a ton of history but the games we've played recently have all been been great matchups mm-hmm. i think we've only it's only been two games hasn't it the two games recently i haven't done the homework to see yeah, how far back had, it goes but we had that home and home well yeah they played in our gym and I think when we, we went played, up there, we played in the 76ers. The Wells, Wells, yeah, the Wells, I think it's the Wells Fargo centers. Um, well, then we had the we had the secret scrimmage at the beginning of last year, too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so, and, I mean, it's, it, it's obviously, you know, these are programs that are doing it right with coaches who like each other and respect each other, which right. just makes it even, makes it catnip, you know. And, so. and just what makes it so fun to watch tactically is that they're two very different systems. Like they go about, they go about things in almost opposite ways on both ends of the floor. And, you know, everybody talks about Villanova's offense and they are a great offensive team, but they're also a very good defensive team and they have a very specific defensive philosophy. Um, And that's, you know, that's a big, part of the reason why they're such a dominant program so it's it's just so interesting it's such a great matchup it's something that has to happen on a regular basis it is yeah i mean don't get me wrong i i i do enjoy that we have the secret scrimmages um i think that's a an underrated and, and not off discussed advantage that both these two programs have over a lot of their peers that while um you know a lot of heavyweights are playing D2 schools or Canadian teams in these exhibitions. Uh, the NCAA lets you have uh, two preseason matchups that can be either an exhibition or a, a scrimmage. And a lot of teams will, will have the exhibitions. They'll sell tickets because you know, it's, it's a revenue opportunity, right, to sell right. out your gym um, for two preseason games against you know, a, a D2 school. And, and – you know, it's nice to let your your rookies and your walk-ons get out there and, and have some fun. But Virginia eschews those those opportunities and instead buckles down in these secret scrimmages against some great teams over the years. And we've played Marquette 
um, in, in other years, uh, you know, Tony and, and Wojo uh, pitting the two teams against each other and, and making sure that we have a, a head-to-head against an unfamiliar team, against a different system. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not just scrimmaging the same guys you see in practice on your own team every week. Um, you know, it's somebody who's just as good as you are, right? So you're not getting fat on a, a, you know, a D2 cupcake or, you know, some international traveling squad, something like that. And so when the season tips, you know, we're, we are more ready and Villanova is more ready than a lot of other uh, ACC and D1 teams because we've had that experience. Right. And you have a chance to see some of your weaknesses, yeah, what you have to work on. The coaches get to try, you know, they have control so they can try specific situations and they'll do that. You know, so it's, it's not like a straight game. They'll stop it and say, let's do that again and stuff like that. And it also happens while there's still time to actually practice this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, once the season hits and you're playing two games a week, you know, by the time you've got you've got time, you have recovery, <laughs> and then ramp back up. You know, there's not a lot of days for real hard work for practice right. once the season starts. You know, so now is the ta- now is the best time to you know be able to do this. Yeah. So, so unfortunately, this year due to NCAA rules, no scrimmages for anybody. Um, apparently, uh, it leaked that we had looked at trying to bring back some of our, um, our professional players, uh, you know, the way Ty Jerome and Jeremy Hunter and a bunch of those guys are, are, you know, come back to Charlottesville to train anyways over at the driven gym with Damon Altizer. Uh, but they weren't able to make that work, whether it was schedules or, I mean, COVID protocols, it's a big part of it, right? You, know, you can't mm-hmm. bring those guys back in to scrimmage our players unless you can make their, their COVID protocols work out and get them to submit to testing and bubble them as well. Right. So, so that we weren't able to do that. Yeah. It's not to ask for have an NBA, NBA player because they have their own, their team responsibilities and that they have to get ready for it. Cause it, it is but, so quickly, you know? So, yeah. 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 Um, so unfortunately we won't have a scrimmage this year. Um, probably means we're, we're in for a little bit of, rust and a little bit of, of, of you know, rough and um, you know, some unpretty play that first mm-hmm. couple of games. But um, that's okay. Virginia likes to win ugly. Right. It'll be fine. Yeah. We um, can certainly do that. The, so not, not, not only did we get the non-conference schedule this week, we also got the ACC schedule that dropped early, a couple of days ago. Um, it's a very favorable schedule this year. We, we weren't certain what we'd see if they would change too much in terms of the pairings uh, due to the, the COVID and whatnot. But we, what we have is a pretty traditional 20-game home-and-away schedule. We're not bubbling anywhere. We're traveling like normal. Uh, the, the only real tweak that we have with the schedule is that midweek games are being listed as Tuesday or Wednesday. They're not mm-hmm. locking know, in dates yet. It is so funny when you're sitting there looking at this thing like, Huh, Notre Dame, 29th and 30th of December. You know, it's like, yeah, and the, the first time you saw yet. that, you, you thought, oh, oh my God, are we playing two games up there? <laughs> yeah. Because they're, I know. they're, yeah. they're smaller conferences. Yeah, that's exactly what we were all doing thinking. That sort of thing. Yeah, but no, it's just they, they're, they're, they're keeping all the Tuesday, Wednesday games as flexes for all the ACC teams. Um, the, the only exception is the big Monday games. So those are, you know, the every Monday night in January and on, there's, one ACC game and one Big Twelve game mm-hmm. that are considered Big Monday get the get the prime time billing all by themselves. Um, so we'll get, um, but the Tuesday and Wednesday games, yeah, those are all flexed. I don't think there's going to be any Thursday dates this year. 
but the Saturday dates are all locked in, and it's a really nice ACC schedule. Um, we open up with six games that are very winnable. Um, we play Wake Forest uh, twice. We play uh, Notre Dame twice. Uh, we play Virginia Tech, and we go to Boston College. So those are all projected College, yeah. to be bottom half mm-hmm. ACC teams. Um, not to say they can't knock us off. Boston College has some guards I like. Virginia Tech will be um, rejuvenated with uh, some new uh, four-star freshmen and, and grad transfers this year. We'll see. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty down on Notre Dame. And, of course, Wake Forest, we've talked about being uh, rebuilding. So we've got a good chance to jump out to a quick 6-0 and start uh, before things start to toughen up a little bit with a road trip to a good Clemson team and um, you know NC State, who always plays us tough. Um, Georgia Tech, who's, who's looking to be pretty good this year. So we, you know, we start getting into those tough middle-of-the-pack teams in late January. We only see UNC, Duke, and Florida State once apiece. So that makes our schedule a little bit easier. Now, um, Duke uh, and Florida State, we each have to go on the road to see. So that'll be a little tough. Um, Aren't no they back-to-back? They are. Uh, UNC, Florida State, and Duke are all back-to-back. Um, I think Saturday, Monday, Saturday. And uh, we'll see what home court advantages are like with no fans in attendance at places like Cameron and Florida State. You know, those are tough venues to play in. Will it be quite as tough without the fans in play? Um, you know, the state of Florida may let some kids in. North Carolina, TBD. You know, Cameron, they're right on top of you. So we'll, we'll see what the, the fan situations there look like. Um, but since we only have to play them, you know, those are the three ranked teams, um, and we only play them once a piece. So that's a, the imbalance working in our favor. Mm-hmm. Um, we get two big Monday games, uh, which is nice. Uh, you know, big Monday games, I talked about, you know, that's a, an opportunity for uh, to really be on national television in the middle of the week. So we get Syracuse. And Florida State, both in those big Monday matchups. Um, we've got some really good Saturday games, um, which will all be on ESPN too. We get both of our Louisville games, UNC and Duke, on you know, all um, January and February, uh, or sorry, February and March. Um, nice national exposure uh, during the conference play to go along with those, you know, those three big non-conference games as well. So we're going to have. Uh, Big opportunities this year to be on TV, to be seen nationwide, to get in front of recruits. Uh, you know, the, the only real shame of it is those great Saturday games. You know, those are great opportunities to bring in recruits. And uh, right. the NCAA re, um, extended the recruiting dead period all the way out to April fifteenth. They just went wow. ahead. And, That's smart. It makes it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody the, else, they're dead for everybody. So everybody's right. losing, right. you know, the, the ability to have it. So. Yeah. And that's for all We've even football. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it, it, it's a nice schedule. And, and I, I did my quick look through it. You know, it, it looks conservatively speaking, I think, you know, 22 and five, 16 and four. So we're only playing seven non-conference games this year. It'll be a 27 game schedule, a little bit shorter than usual since we're starting a little late. Um, but yeah, I think we can, we can still win 20 some games. There's some good teams in the ACC. I've still got my questions. You know, I know a lot of folks are uh, dogging me for saying, you think you're, we're going to lose four or five games? It's, yeah, we'll see. Um, it's always possible we lose a couple we shouldn't. Um, even that, you know, you look at that 2015-16 team that we had, you know, London and Malcolm and, and Gil and Toby. Um, 
Yeah, that team should have went all the way to the Elite Eight and should have made the Final Four. They should have rolled the ACC that year, and they dropped a bunch of dumb games um, early in the year. Just when well, they were I, I still contend they were saving their energy. They were playing strategically. I think those guys, <laughs> they wanted to win in March. The seniors, Gill and, and Brogdon especially, they wanted to win in March, and they knew that those games didn't matter, really didn't matter. And when it got to be the end of January, January 31st, clock's ticks over to February, which is when it really starts to matter. Level play went way up. Well, hopefully this team doesn't sleepwalk quite that much. Well, this team is a different team. This team, yeah. yeah this, we, we, also, we also don't have Malcolm Brogdon. Right, yeah. This team is not that kind of team, so there, I, I do not expect to see that. I think that was a very special situation because that was a team that had done everything they could in the regular season and then had disappointing postseasons. And I just think they were sick of it. And yeah. it wasn't, it definitely wasn't sanctioned by the coaches at all. But I I could just see it in the players in the way they were playing, especially um, uh, Brogdon and Gill, whose defense in those, in the first, like up all the way through January, was just, to be blunt, unacceptable. You would see Brogdon just like wave a hand out as help on a driver and you oh, were seeing guild not even rotating and and uh, they were just mailing it in on so many possessions don't, and, don't leave toby out of this because yeah yeah you know, I, I remember you know, right that, that year jack salt again that same class you know, those guys yeah, J- J- jack salt had had no business being on the floor that year that was his, his first um first year eligible at uva and um I don't know if you remember, he started some games mm-hmm. simply because uh, Tony wanted to send a message to, to Mike Toby that he was huffing it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to start this redshirt freshman who's terrible over you mm-hmm. because you're not giving me great effort. And it just sent a message to those guys that you know, I'm not going to take it. And it was a little bit easier to bench Toby than it was to bench Gill or uh, Brogdon. Yeah. Gill or Brogdon. Right. But. Yeah, so maybe that's and what he had to do to send the message. I think the Wake Forest game scared them, but it also could just be that the next game after Wake Forest was Louisville, and that was January 31st. And that those two things right there, Louisville and January 31st. All right, it's February now. Tournament's right around the corner. It's time yeah. to start getting serious. And that's where you saw the pack line principles being honored by the seniors. And we were a totally different team. Yeah. So, uh, Val and Seattle, what are your guys' first first thought predictions on this year's schedule? Is is my twenty two and five? Uh, my overestimating, underestimating. Well, you know, we've got three really tough games out of the. You know, we have three really tough games out of conference, and none of those are gimmies. And we're still integrating. We're going to be a younger team got three freshmen to integrate who have to be able to play better than what Casey and Stetson and Wolf Densai did for most of the season. So it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I think I, I'd agree with that. Uh, I mean, I think we'll be slightly better because one of the things about Bennett is that we just don't lose the games that catch everybody else up. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had three seasons basically of 16 and two, 
you know, in the last six years under Bennett, which is better than anybody else in the ACC has done. We, we don't slip up those games. So, uh, while everybody can beat us and, you know, it's not going to happen. I don't think not typically under a Bennett team mm-hmm. that that's what's set, you know, over the last seven years we're I think the very first piece I ever wrote for whose place was going back in five seasons and looking and seeing, you know, what was the record for each team in the ACC the previous five years. And we were 10, 11 games ahead of Duke and UNC, you know, over, over, over six years. I, I that's think just because we don't lose them. Yeah. I, I'm actually very bullish on, on this team. I, I, I don't see a lot of losses because I think the teams, I agree with you, we don't lose those games, those slip-up games. I don't see this team losing those slip-up games. This is not a 2015-16 type team. And the teams, the better teams in the conference, I think are of a type that are extremely vulnerable to Virginia, to Bennett Ball. And that is Duke and Carolina and Florida State because they don't have they don't have the experienced I I don't Florida State may have a little more experience but they don't have the experienced guard play and Duke is so young this year I mean I I know I know that Shashevsky's always you know saying how how young his team is but this team I I think is just even younger and that they just like even even their their returning players really weren't um, frontline players. They were kind of role players. And so they're having to become frontline veteran leaders. And they're just, they're going to be so inexperienced. And I don't know that, you know, Duke usually has a talent advantage over us. I don't know that they're going to have that this year, especially if like a Trey Murphy's out there too. Uh, we, we got a lot of talent this year and we've got, Three veteran stars. We have three veteran players deserving of not only ACC first team consideration, but ACC player of the year consideration. You know, Joe Giglio, who three years ago said Kihei Clark wasn't even an ACC player. You know, now he's saying he's a better player of the year candidate than Garrison Brooks. You know, I voted for Jay Young as player, or Jay Huff as player of the year because. I think everything sets up for him to have a monster year. And then Sam Hauser got 24 votes from the ACC media. And when you, and all these guys are veterans. And when you have that, man, that is a foundation. And against a team like Duke, who's in Carolina is going to be that way this year. And when they're young and they're not used to having to cohesively play defense at, a, at the level that you're going to have to play defense to guard us, and not make mistakes and have breakdowns with your rotations with the way we're going to run that continuity ball screen offense and the sides offense with all the options that we have that even just those three guys can 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 put on you I, we're going to make some teams break down some teams that are going to run other teams out of the gym teams that'll let them play the way they want to play are going to have these 20 point wins and then come back and play Virginia and lose by 15 because they're just not mentally prepared to play against Virginia basketball with the kind of high-level players that we're going to have this year. I, I, just, I see it. I see Villanova giving us a hell of a lot of trouble. 
I see, you know, Michigan State is going to be a great test for us because they're always physical. They're always tough. They're always, you know, they're street fighters. They're blue, they're blue bloods that don't mind getting into a back alley fight. And so that's going to be great for us. Um, but in terms of the conference, I just think it sets up well for us this year. Well, getting Florida State, Duke, and UNC once apiece um, does make this a light schedule. Yeah, so and you know, we're, to we're, me we're that's a detriment. I'd rather take advantage I, of. That. I want to play those teams. Well, sure, I do too. You know, and, I want to have. You know, I, I was looking away at, with every single team, but you know, I was looking at someone. I was looking at someone's chart where they were they were saying that UNC has a tough road this year, and there was the expected win total um, against this schedule and an expected win total against a, a true round robin, and. We're only talking about a difference of a third of a game, it, one way or the other. UNC is a third of the game, a third of a game behind their round or ahead of their round robin expectation. And uh, anyway, the difference is we're talking about a difference of one game between the so-called light schedule and the so-called difficult schedule in terms of your expected wins. So it's it's this unbalanced thing. It's something that is always look when it when it when it doesn't favor the Carolina teams, it's always blown into this huge thing, and it really isn't. If you win the league by two games, I don't care how unbalanced I I don't care how the unbalanced schedule cuts. You won the league. You were the best team in the league. If it's one game between you and a team that had the harder the quote harder schedule, okay, maybe that means something. But not if it's two games, which it's been for us at least one or two of those years where the whole media made a big fucking deal about the unbalanced schedule because it favored us over Duke or Carolina. So I, I really, to me, it, it doesn't mean anything. No, and I mean, we, we talk about only getting Florida State, Duke, and, and UNC once. You only get in UNC once. To me, that's not a big deal because UNC is not very good this year, mm-hmm. and UNC, I, you know, I'm I'm the one who's been beating that drum um, for you know a month or two now that they don't have the backcourt to to be a top half ACC team. Uh, that you know, I love their their forwards, but you know I think they're going to struggle this year. And so, at the end of the year, you're going to look at the numbers and you're going to say, well, okay. Um, you know, the, the teams that we have to play twice, you know, granted, there's a couple, you know, we get Wake twice this year, we get mm-hmm. um, Notre Dame twice Notre this year. Notre Dame twice, yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, we, we benefit a little bit there. Um, you know, we get Louisville twice, Louisville should be should be solid, um, as we as we usually do, and of course, Virginia Tech will probably be a middle-of-the-road team this year. The, um, but we played Georgia Tech twice. Georgia Tech is, is being picked as a top-half team, mm-hmm. and they should be pretty strong. Um, we play NC State twice. It's another middle of the road team. Um, it has some talent, has some good players. So, you know, we'll, you know, maybe we don't have to play the top of the of the league, uh, doubled up. But there's some some teams like Louisville, NC State, Georgia Tech, that will give us a, a good stiff test. And so it's not like we're we're escaping, you know, entirely having to play nothing but Boston College and Wake Forest. Right. And you know, hey. Carolina, Florida State, and Duke, they only have to play us once. Yep. And Florida Absolutely. State and Duke get us at home. Yep. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, we've we've had a great time tonight, but I think we probably should wrap this up. And I hope I'm not keeping my mom awake. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, well, the, so program idea, you know, Paul, and you're back at home living with your mom. So yeah. okay, <laughs> yeah. Only for, for a few more days, right? Uh, until right. December. Well, actually, no. I'll be living with my mom for the duration uh, because her, we're in early December. Home, right? Yeah, I'm moving her out to uh, Seattle. Well, Whidbey Island, Seattle. Well, wonderful you know, so, for you. So, yeah. So, but anyway, so we were we're gonna have two of our hoops 2020 episodes coming up next week for the subscribers. We promised one a week on us, and we decided tonight to record this general one instead of the hoops 2021 because we hit all we just watched the football game and we wanted to talk football. So we're going to be um, catching up on that, going, working our way through the players and, and getting more in depth in some hoop stuff. So, and then we'll have we'll be back next week with another regular Who's Play Studio Hoopcast. We'll be right. looking for you know go deep on the uh, Maine and uh, Florida games. So. Mm-hmm. Until all then, right, gentlemen. See you all next week. All right, wahoo, wahoo, wahoo.